for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Remember deep down in your heart who the Lord is and know he is always there when you need him most. In the words of our father David, take with you these encouragements. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion for all he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. And finally, these words. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call upon him in truth. I've been wearing myself out with worry. There's a new position that I really want, working as a seamstress for this very regal lady. It's something that I've always dreamed of, but I'm sure I won't get it, so I'm not even sure why I've been worrying about it so much. Um, you know, would it be too selfish of me to ask God for help? Is it something, you know, that I really want, or is it something that's really necessary um, that he'd want to give me? And then I think, well, maybe if I ask, he'll, he'll provide it for me. And then other times I think, well, maybe I should take matters into my own hands and I should go in there with this false confidence and maybe embellish a little on my past experience. I'm tempted just to, you know, twist the truth just a little bit to be able to get this really great position. Do you think that would be so wrong? My lady, it is not wrong to look for God to guide you. When finding ways to improve your status, however, he says this. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. However, take note that God does not look favorably on those who have deceitful lips. Who project false pretenses to get what they want. In matter of fact, he says... The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So I will ask God for his very, very best work for you, and I exhort you to do it with honor. I desperately need your advice. I'm overwhelmed. I am responsible for my entire family. I have to take care of my home 
and I need to make sure there's food on the table for everyone to eat. I, I just feel overwhelmed because all this pressure is on my shoulders, and right now I can't even get my children to obey me when I try to discipline them. They won't do what I say. I just get frustrated and I get angry, and their mistakes, they drive me crazy. And I just feel like there's no way I'm gonna get through this on my own, and I start to get more frustrated, and they start arguing with me. They argue with their siblings. We're always yelling and arguing, and it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And then, last year, my heart was broken with the loss of my husband. And now, I keep making all these mistakes with my family, and everything just seems to be going wrong. What should I do? Woman, know that God hears your pleas and is there with you always in times of struggle. I will intervene with him for you. Remember these words spoken to the Israelites by Moses. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. What does that really mean? It means you must talk with your children about the words of God, that you must impress upon them His greatness and know for yourself that He is always there to guide you along the way and leave with this. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Thank you. I'm, I'm fine. I, I really am. I'm, I'm doing fine. I probably shouldn't even be here, um, but it's just my husband. He's a good man, you know, um, and he would never lay a hand on me. But um, it's just that his yelling, he, he yells at me a lot, and it just it makes me feel bad about myself. And um, I just, I can't speak up about it because a wife is supposed to be submissive to her husband, right? Mm -hmm. Woman, God spoke no truer words to Adam and Eve. In the garden, he said to the woman, woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So does that mean that I only should be submissive Mm -hmm. if it, doesn't go against God's word. I just, I don't know how to talk to my husband about it. Listen and obtain the wisdom that God can give you. I will ask God for the help to deal with your problems that you're facing with your husband. Take this with you 
God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, you must not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, and never forget this, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. Many ask others how they are faring, but when they come to me, all they ever ask me is if I'm married. I guess being a maid is better than being with an unloving husband, but I just feel so alone. I get to see children around the courtyard and I get to be with my family, well, when they're not busy tending to their own families. I just, I just think having a husband would solve all of my problems. And I, I just feel so empty inside. Dear woman, being without a husband may not be permanent. It is still possible God will present to you your heart's desire. And it is most important that for you to note that everything that happens is God's will. And it is far for which I will intercede for you. He knows all. Remember these words that God spoke. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And keep your eyes on God, because it is our relationship with Him that truly matters. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. I call myself a survivor. I've been through a long and painful illness. That was 11 years ago, but my illness is back. 
I've lived a good life, but you know, I don't want to die. I'm afraid. I'm very afraid. In fact, I'm frantic. I've lost my hope. I keep wondering what is on the other side. In fact, I wonder if there is another side. Dear woman, I pray that you will find the healing hands of God and your own faith in the Lord. Find comfort by these words that were spoken by our father David, who said this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and staff, they comfort me. And lastly, never to be forgotten, David proclaimed this, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You may be seated. Well, what a beautiful truth was just depicted for us. The ways, the requirements of the old covenant have been abolished by Christ. And each one of these women that came to approach the high priest this morning had a story, didn't she? Had a story. And God is authoring a story in each one of our lives. And this morning is such a special day. We get to hear from two among us who have come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy. And they have received their salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And we get to hear their stories this morning. So I'd like to invite uh, Teresa and Teresa, Teresa Carinder and Teresa Whitfield to come before us, to stand before the throne of grace and to proclaim God's faithfulness. The first to join us this morning will be Teresa Carinder. You might know her from the sweet face that resides in the nursery and takes in these babies and loves on them while we um, meet each Wednesday morning. So we love her and are so thankful for her servant heart. I've never been this so far forward. <laughs> We'd like to sit in the back. Good morning. I still haven't figured out how I made it up here since public speaking is not necessarily my thing. But I stand here today hoping to tell his story of my life, and I pray that it is used to glorify him. My name is Teresa Carinder. I have been married to Doug for almost 10 years, and together we have four awesome kids who are eight, six, four, and two. I was born third of six kids in 12 years to my parents, Bill and Kathy Witchker. We grew up in Indianapolis as a big Catholic family. We went to Mass every Sunday, prayed before meals, and occasionally prayed the rosary together. My mom grew up in the country of New York, one of six kids. She met my dad in Kansas when volunteering for VISTA, which is similar to the Peace Corps. My dad grew up in Indianapolis and was one of five boys. They met, fell in love, were engaged within a few weeks, and married shortly after. My mom did not work outside the home, but took care of everything from school shopping, meals, homework, cleaning, school forms, budgeting, and the list goes on and on. She was an amazing woman who clung to God. She prayed the rosary while doing the dishes, and could always, you could always find a rosary under her pillow. My mom loved others more than herself. And despite the time-consuming task of raising us six kids, she made time to cook lasagnas for firemen, casseroles for the funerals, um, she made us chase the firemen and the mail carriers to give them hot chocolate and lemonade. My dad is a loving man who, may, um, who loves to give hugs. He loved having us sit on his lap, even when we were much too old to sit on his lap. Um, he enjoyed having my sister and I snuggle him before bed as he watched Tears or Murder, She Wrote. And he watched hundreds of my volleyball games and track meets. I was and still am an early bird, and I used to get up early Sunday morning to go to church with him. My dad loves his job and has always been devoted to his work. He was committed to providing for us. He is a generous, loving, kind man whose strength and perseverance I admire deeply. My parents were true servants. They sacrificed much to provide for us. And I don't know exactly how or why, but their marriage struggled for many years. They lived nearly separate lives since the time I was in high school. 
Despite not getting along well, they stayed committed to each other and to our family. As a kid, I was very shy. I used to hide under my bed when the babysitters came, and I would be mad at my mom when she made me go into a store to pick something up for her because it meant I had to talk to strangers. For her, it meant not unbuckling several kids. Now I understand that. <laughs> at school, I feared the disapproval of teachers and rejection of friends or being picked on by the popular kids. I didn't have a group of friends, but praise God, he blessed me with one very close friend through most of my grade school year. I kept quiet at school, so I was not noticed. Um, at home, my siblings and I played a lot of games, very creative games together. <laughs> but at the same time, I felt scared because I was picked on and teased and wrestled by my older siblings. I remember feeling that I could not do the right thing because it always felt like I was getting yelled at or getting in trouble. I tried to earn my parents' affection with good behavior. Once I was told if I could not get along with my siblings, then I could leave. And I guess in my head I did. I began to pull away, engage less, and struggle more with how unloved I felt. Being good did not earn me anything. I did what I could to please others, doing what I thought they wanted me to do. I journaled often and prayed to God, but did not know him personally. Growing up Catholic, we all went, to, went through the Catholic sacraments, and it was during my confirmation in eighth grade that I felt what I thought was the Holy Spirit descend to be with me. I became more persist persistent in my journal praying, especially as I transitioned into high school. I started Brebeuf, Jesuit, without knowing anyone, which was terrifying because I was still quite shy. My older sister was outgoing, social, and involved in many activities. I struggled to find my niche and thought everyone expected me to be her. I was even nicknamed Minnie Colleen because I looked so much like her. I ran track and played volleyball at Burbuff. God placed amazing teachers, counselors, and coaches in my life, or during, in my life during this time. Um, they were my mentors, but I craved my mom's attention. My self-worth continued to drop since I attributed my worth to performance and others' opinions of me. I took up running at home to try to improve um, in track and in volleyball, but it never seemed like enough. I struggled to find joy. I became anorexic my junior year as a way to establish control over my life, and I think I hoped that my mom would see me, and she did. She, pay <clears throat> she paid more attention now that I was sick, um, and she said we would fight it together. I wish I knew then to trust Jesus for my belonging and security needs for he would have offered me full acceptance, or he does offer me full acceptance. Recovery was difficult because I began feeling mastered by food, perfectionism, thinness, and being athletic. The coaches and teachers and counselors at Burbuff loved me through hugs, cards, and words of encouragement. By the end of my junior year, I attended a retreat called Kairos, where the emphasis was knowing that I, that I am lovable, that God loves me. Letters were written to the retreatants, I could not believe how my parents loved and treasured me, since these things were, not, were rarely spoken of at home. I, really, um, I never really knew the depth of their love. I still sought others for my belonging, but God graced me with a glimpse of what His love looks like through my parents' love. I found a place of refuge under His ring, wings, and, my, and in my soul this refuge grew over the years. I attended University of Dayton in the fall of 1998. I met friends through campus ministry and campus crusade. I began running more regularly. 
I ran as my way to enjoy God's amazing gifts of creation. I ran in the rain and during the snow at night and in the dark of the morning with the sunrises and the sunsets. It was my way to explore the trails and roads, and it gave me time to daydream, to pray, and to hear his prompts of inspiration and encouragement. I began reading my Bible daily, even though I didn't understand it. I attended Mass twice a week and thought my faith was pretty strong. I volunteered in Pennsylvania one summer and even thought that I was going to quit school, stay at the retreat house, and become a nun. <laughs> I graduated University of Dayton in 2002 and returned home about a year later. I moved close to my parents and began my master's degree in social work in 2004. I spent a lot of time with my parents, and I loved having the individual time with them. In February of 2006, I met Doug. He's amazing, loving, patient, and kind man who is tender, supportive, and convicting. He keeps my shelf stocked in the freezer with chocolate chip cookies. He's also an unbeliever, which has brought its own challenge. But I believe God wanted me in his life and the life of his family. And God's work is being done. Two months after meeting Doug in April of 2006 on Good Friday, my mom was hospitalized and later diagnosed with lung cancer. My sweet alone time with her was quickly taken. My mom had many rounds of chemo and radiation. She underwent one major hospitalization and was never the same afterwards. I graduated December of 2006 and began working as a social worker at IU Hospital on the oncology floor. A year later in January, there's a lot of dates, I'm sorry, January 2007, I was engaged to Doug. <clears throat> this was a time of great joy and great sorrow. My mom's health continued to decline and her pain was getting much more difficult to manage. She barely made it to our family vacation seven months later in July of 2007. I was very sad that she could not be a part of my wedding planning. I remember sitting at her bedside in the hospital addressing all my wedding announcements. Doug and I were married um, that November of 2007, November 3rd, a couple days. Um, my dad, uh, sorry, my mom did attend our wedding, was in horrendous pain. And one month later, on December 18th, 2007, my mom passed with all of us kids and my dad on her bed around her, praying the rosary as her soul was lifted from her body. It was a very difficult time because I grieved the loss of my mom and the relationship I wanted with her. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Doug, Doug was my main human support through it all. I struggled to find the good in the situation and didn't feel God's presence. I prayed the rosary daily for a year and carried that rosary with me everywhere. It helped me keep her close. I began trying to do things in memory of her, making bread, planting tomatoes, and now I make my kids and chase, <clears throat> chase down the trash men and Mr. George, a mailman with granola bars. We send anonymous cards. We make sunshine baskets for people who are hurting. And I arrange crafts for my kids to send to others. Her life is still a part of my everyday. A year later, in December 2008, we were blessed with a beautiful, independent, driven baby girl. And once we were, I was married, I attended St. Alphonsus. And even after a couple of years, I struggled to meet people. So I had asked God to help me find a community. So in 2010, I was pregnant with Timothy, and I decided to visit this church, the Sciencesville Fellowship, 
I never stopped attending. I was amazed at how welcoming everyone was, and the people seemed to truly know and love the Lord. I wanted that. I felt like I was betraying the Catholic Church, so I went to Mass and then to ZF with the kids by myself (laughs) for probably about a year. I enrolled in the first habits group, and we studied Matthew. I was intimidated and in awe at the same time with the women's desire to know the Lord and their knowledge of Scripture. I began growing in my understanding of Scripture, and my thirst for Him was being quenched each time I sought Him. In 2011, our silly, sensitive Timothy was born. In the fall of 2012, I was in a habits group studying the book of Romans, and wow, what an amazing study it was for me. On November 9, 2012, I experienced God's grace like I never had before. It poured through me, and I was brought to my knees. It finally made sense. God loved me. He sent his son to die for my sins of the past, the present, and the future, and no amount of self-punishment would set me free. The answer is Jesus. For the first time, I felt the incredible warmth of Jesus' love for me. How elated I was to understand his sacrifice for me, and heartbroken at the same time at the cost of my salvation. His forgiveness, healing, and hope were made clear to me. I am no longer doing this alone. I've been different all along because he's been calling me to him, gently whispering for me to not be filled of the things of the world, including the number of friends I have or don't have, my family's inclusion of me, my fitness level, or the closeness of my mom. I am filled with him, and I belong to him. In him, my security and belonging needs are met. And Jesus has orchestrated all of this the whole time, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see him telling me to rely on him alone. I try to remember to cling to him as my place of refuge when I am frustrated or feeling depressed and lonely. He created a space for himself in my loneliness, and he is teaching me that he will fill my emptiness. A year later, in 2013, our sweet Owen, our sweet loud Owen, was born. And in 2015, um, our spunky independent Josephine was born. She completed our family. So the fast, f- past few years have been consumed with diaper changing, feeding, cooking, cleaning, swinging, making forts, playing in the parks and in the mud, making many random creations in the kitchen, and on and on. I now know that Jesus is with me through it all. What a blessing it is to receive life as a gift from him. As I wrote this, I can see how God has slowly and steadily worked on me, pulling me closer to him, making me aware of my glaring idols and begging me to put him above all else. He has proved himself more worthy than any filler for love I have sought. It is him I crave and him alone that can fill my every need. It's frustrating, however, because despite his blessing us beyond comprehension, I still struggle to find joy some days. I struggle to feel good enough, then the car is clean enough, the house is organized enough, the food is healthy enough, the kids are behaved, and on and on, and I feel so selfish. Parenting has forced me out of some of my shy tendencies and caused me to live a life much less selfishly and at most and at oftentimes uncomfortably. I sometimes am completely overwhelmed feeling totally unglued, and it has been during these times of utter emptiness that he surprises me, filling me with the strength and courage I know are not mine. Sometimes it's a daily struggle to set my idols at the foot of the cross, but I know he has already conquered these things, 
and it is a matter of me letting go. Less of me and more of him. I can see that some of these same issues from the past surface even today as Satan tries to attack my self-worth. He attacks my most sensitive areas of weakness. And over and over I find myself having to remind myself that God's power has already fought my battles. The cross has already won the war. So the song Greater has become a favorite of mine as God spoke through the song to me saying that every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's all right, because I hear a voice, and he calls me redeemed. I have been redeemed. Thank you. Good morning. Sorry, I need these. <laughs> Good morning. As Tana said, I'm Teresa Whitfield. I was born in Niagara Falls, New York, to Frank and Margaret Yetman. My father, who was also originally from New York, was serving in the Army and was stationed there at the time of my birth. My mother was born and raised in a small town outside of Salzburg, Austria, hence the bizarre spelling of my name. I have an older brother named Chris. My dad served his country for more than 20 years, so we moved quite a bit when I was a child. We eventually settled in Columbia, South Carolina in 1976. Although I've lived in Indianapolis for 15 years, I still consider Columbia my home. We were a fairly normal middle-class family. My mom didn't work outside of the home. After retiring from the military, my dad spent another 20 years working for the Department of Corrections, where my brother also works. My brother and I fought like cats and dogs, and sometimes we still do. I had a bit of a turbulent relationship with my father growing up, especially in my teen years. But thankfully, the Lord healed that relationship, and we went on to become very close before he passed away five years ago. I'm especially close to my mother and talk to her every single day. She and my brother are still in Columbia. I grew up in a Catholic church as well and wasn't particularly fond of going to church, but it was never a question as to whether or not we were going. As far as my mother was concerned, we were going. I always felt a sense of emptiness in my Catholic faith, as if there should be something more. Of course, I eventually learned that what was missing was a personal relationship with God. In my early 20s, I met a young man who seemed incredibly different. We began dating, and I was intrigued by this something different. I found out he was a PK, a preacher's kid, and I realized that his faith in Jesus was what was different about him, and I was curious to know more. I began attending a Southern Baptist church with him, admittedly at first to spend more time with him, but eventually I began to feel hungry for what he had. I longed to know this God who desired a personal relationship with someone like me. At the age of 23, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and eventually that man and I married. I was very active in our church, singing in the praise band, leading the drama team, and participating in small group. But in looking back, I don't think I ever really got the whole concept of having a personal relationship with God. Eventually, my husband and I divorced after a series of unfortunate and sinful circumstances. Prior to the divorce, I had already felt God calling me to become a journalist. After we went our separate ways, I devoted myself to that goal and put God on a shelf to return to whenever I felt that I needed him. I went to a broadcasting school, was offered an internship at the NBC affiliate in Charlotte, North Carolina, and was then hired as their consumer investigative producer. After two years, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. to work as a freelance producer. I found great success in D.C. working at CNN, Reuters Television, CBN News, and various production houses and local affiliates. I loved the success I had in my career. I felt I had arrived, but I got there without God. 
I found an opportunity to teach at a broadcasting school similar to the one I attended. I taught TV journalism to a group of about a dozen students in addition to my role as a freelance producer. On the morning of September the 11th, 2001, I was scheduled to give final exams to my students and was supposed to go to CBN News to audition as their Capitol Hill correspondent. I got to the school and learned about the first plane that had crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. Like many of you and so many across the globe, I watched with horror as the, as the second plane slammed into the other tower. I instantly knew it was a terrorist attack. The building where the school was located happened to be on the other side of I-395, directly across from the Pentagon. My students and I listened. <laughs> As American Airlines, sorry, as American Airlines Flight 77 crashed into the Pentagon, I was paralyzed with fear. I never got to audition for the role of Capitol Hill correspondent position because of the events of that day. CBN News hired me on the spot as their producer. In my job, I saw a lot of raw video of the events of that day. I don't want to upset anyone, so I won't go into gory specifics, but suffice it to say there are images that will be with me for the rest of my life. Two weeks after the attacks, I went to New York to cover the events from ground zero. I'll never forget the stench of jet fuel and death that hung in the air. About a month later, I happened to be in the Senate office building when a senator's aide unwittingly opened a letter tainted with anthrax. So I had to be tested for exposure to anthrax. That's two terrorist attacks in less than two months. Not long after that, I began having anxiety attacks to the point of passing out. In January of the following year, I lost my job at CBN News because of the hard financial hit the news industry took from wall-to-wall -wall coverage for five straight days. I couldn't find any work after that, but it was a blessing in disguise because I wanted out of TV news. Life as I knew it, life as we all knew it, was over. The fun of covering history was gone. I decided to get back to my original goal of being a journalist, which was to cover sports, and I decided to get out of D.C. I decided I wanted to switch to print journalism, and I wanted to have a niche in my writing. It was a toss-up between my two favorite sports, auto racing and football, and I chose racing. So where do you go to cover auto racing but the auto racing capital of the world, Indianapolis, Indiana. I moved here in 2002 and began my writer, career as a writer, and God was still on the shelf. Later that year, I began going back to church. I was really struggling with trying to process what had happened on 9-11, and I felt that returning to my faith might bring me some answers. I ended up at a church off of 86th Street and ended up meeting the man I knew I would marry, Kurt Whitfield. We did marry in 2004. Not long after our wedding, my life began falling apart. I began seeing images from 9-11 all over again. Flash images would replace whatever I was looking at, and it was as if I was seeing it all over again for the first time. I could hear the plane crash into the Pentagon again, and I could smell the smell of death around me. I became angrier and angrier and incredibly depressed. My new husband didn't understand what, was going, what I was going through, and no one else seemed to know how to help me. I tried to lean into my faith, but it didn't provide answers or help. I was so distraught by everything that was happening to me. 
that I eventually tried to take my own life. I was taken to the emergency room and after speaking with a psychiatrist on staff, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Not long after Kurt and I were married, we came to Zionsville Fellowship. Because of my situation, I never had the opportunity to make any true friends here at ZF. I walked through life feeling as if I was the only one in the world who was going through what I was going through. No one could fathom what it was like to have lived through 9-11 or to live with PTSD. I allowed myself to become increasingly isolated and, and came to church sporadically. Yes, I went to counseling and took medicine, but, it, but none of it provided relief. I was beyond despondent for more than 14 years. I even stopped writing. But I eventually got to the point where I knew I needed to find healing, and I started with the biggest question I had. Where was God on 9-11? I started to journal about everything that happened on 9-11 and prayed for God to reveal himself to me. He slowly showed me the ways that he was with me on that day and, in fact, had never left my side. It was truly a cathartic process. Then I made the decision that I wanted to return to New York and to the Pentagon. Going back to these places would provide me with closure. I decided to start with New York because it had the greatest impact on me. It was the hardest yet most wonderful thing I've ever experienced. But when I left the beautiful grounds of what used to be Ground Zero, I was as depressed as ever and felt like it had just happened all over again. On the way back to the airport, we discovered a rainbow over New York City, but I didn't really think much of it until the next day when I read my morning devotional. The title was Rainbows and Promises. The verse was Genesis 9:16. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. The devotional also said, God did not promise we will never experience storms, but he has promised he will be with us during them. And with those words, healing came. I felt my depression lift away, and I knew I had been healed of PTSD-related depression. I knew God had been near to me, even on that fateful day, and I was clinging to him as if my life depended on it. A few weeks after my healing, I began to experience severe daily migraines. I do get migraines from time to time, but they're usually weather-related. These were intense and unreal and incessant. I went to a neurologist who ran every kind of test you can imagine, and through a series of questions, figured out that my migraines were caused by whiplash. A couple of months prior to going to New York, I had taken a trip with my mom to Alaska, where I'd hit my head on something hard. I mean, I saw stars. But the whiplash went untreated and reared its ugly head in October. I was in such pain that I couldn't get out of bed most days. I was ordered to go to physical therapy, which lasted for six months. It was eventually the only place I could go. I even stopped coming to church. I still didn't have very many friends at church, but I asked for prayer through various channels, including our small group, which was brand new at the time. Once again, I isolated myself. Even though I asked for prayer, and most everyone seemed to know of my situation, no one offered to help me during that dark time. The pain and isolation drove me back into the pit of depression. But this time, the depression was different. It's hard to describe, but there was a true sense of loneliness in the pain. I only had my husband, my mom, my mother-in-law, and two friends who don't even live in this state. One doesn't even live in this country. Yet I was so lonely. I began to wonder if this pain was the new normal for my life, as the progress in therapy was slow in coming. 
I was desperate for relief and began to feel that the only way to escape the pain was to die. And so I tried to commit suicide again. I can't even tell you how humiliating that is. There was one person I knew at church that I hoped I could reach out to. As I was preparing to swallow a bottle of pain pills, I prayed one last prayer. God, if you really want me to live, please let this person respond to my message. I sent her a text, and she did better than reply. She called. She talked me off the ledge, so to speak, and prayed with me. I returned home to my frantic and worried husband. Once again, I found myself talking to a psychiatrist who determined it was best for me to be admitted into the stress center. I was there for five days and really began to ponder all of these things. In both instances, I had isolated myself completely because I felt that no one could understand the pain I was in. When I did reach out to ask for help, I felt my cries went unanswered, and in many ways, I even felt that my church had abandoned me. Even though I was screaming for help by asking for prayer, no one responded. No one checked on me. No one asked if they could help. No one offered to drive me to physical therapy, not even anyone in my small group. Have you ever felt so alone? But then I remembered the rainbow. God did not promise we will never experience storms but he has promised he will be with us during them. After I was released from the hospital, I was able to talk through my frustrations with the elders of ZF. They and several women in the church rallied around me and helped me in the healing process. I've come to realize that we need each other, ladies. Galatians tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. Even in our study of Hebrews, we read that we are to exhort and encourage one another. We can't face the trials of life without one another and without God. The song, Oh How Good It Is, has a verse that says, Oh how good it is on this journey we share to rejoice with the happy and weep with those who mourn. For the weak find strength, the afflicted find grace when we offer the blessing of belonging. Since all of this, I have been more intentional about creating and cultivating relationships with women. Those women I mentioned have taken me under their wings and become dear mentors to me. And I can confidently say that God is no longer on that shelf. I have a deeper relationship with my Savior through things like habits, a new small group, mentoring relationships, and my own pursuit of God by studying His Word and through prayer. It's been nearly two years since I've had a depressive episode, and God has healed my neck injury as well. I can't explain why all of this has happened. I only know that I serve at the will of the Father. And I know that no matter whatever else may happen, he will walk with me during the storm. Thank you. Thank you you both for sharing your sweet stories and how God is working. Still working, right, Teresa and Teresa? Still working, moment by moment. So we pray that this morning has been an encouragement to you, that it has glorified our Savior. And uh, may it cause you to consider your own testimony. What is God authoring in your life? As you think about the moments, the days, the years that you've walked with or without him, How has he proven himself to you? How is he showing his glory to you in his faithfulness? And how has he made real this 
um, truth that we proclaim this morning together, this drama that was depicted, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. He's invited us to come. There is no sweeter word. Come, come to Jesus. So may you, uh, throughout the day today and in the days that come, think about your story. What would you say if you had the opportunity to stand up here and talk to others about your Savior? And if you don't know him, would you consider that today? These two would tell you, don't let another day pass. They both, for a time, lived without Jesus. And I know that they would both tell you, and I would, and many in this room who've called on Jesus would tell you that they would seek him and that they would want him all the more quickly. So you are dismissed to your groups. I'll pray and um, enjoy that sweet conversation. Father God, we praise you for these stories of your faithfulness, for the way that you have revealed your glory in these personal lives, and you've allowed us to share um, in the fellowship of believing and calling on the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for your protection now for Teresa and Teresa. We pray that you would bar the enemy from any work in their mind and their heart, and that you would bless them. Lord, we thank you for the redemptive work you have done in each one of their lives, and may it draw us closer to you. And we thank you for the truth of the drama this morning, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We praise you for the salvation you've offered in Jesus. We worship his matchless and glorious name. Oh, how we love you, Jesus. Amen.